Welcome to the 21 News Podcast. I'm Robert McFerrin. Joining me today is Dr. Albert Presto of Carnegie Mellon University. Thank you for joining us, doctor. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be uh, here. Can you give me a little bit about your background and uh, how you're helping out the people of East Palestine in the region? Yeah. So my research group at Carnegie Mellon is focused on urban air pollution. And one of the ways we investigate that is with mobile with a mobile lab. So we have a mobile laboratory and that lets us drive around different cities because we often care about how air pollution varies from neighborhood to neighborhood within a city. Uh, in the case of East Palestine, uh, we happen to be uh, in the middle of doing a campaign in Pittsburgh where we're measuring these volatile organic compounds or VOCs. And VOCs are some of the things that people are really concerned about uh, that were emitted from the train derailment. So for example, vinyl chloride, which within some of the rail cars is a VOC. Um, and it's something that our instrument is sensitive to. Uh, and so uh, in on February 20th and 21st, in collaboration with some colleagues from Texas A&M, uh, we conducted mobile sampling uh, in East Palestine, looking for some of these different VOCs, including vinyl chloride. And can you give us, uh, what is the issue with the uh, VOCs? What are you, why should people be concerned by these? Some of the VOCs, um, so I should say in the atmosphere, uh, there are literally thousands of VOCs. Um, some of them are what the EPA calls air toxics. Another term for that is hazardous air pollutants. And so an air toxic is a compound that we know that exposure to it can cause some pretty severe health effects. Um, some of them are carcinogenic, for example. And so there were, uh, I think, community concerns that maybe some of these air toxic concentrations were high. Uh, and there was uh, some data from EPA um, that was you know, at a few locations and on a few days. And, and I think some people had trouble interpreting that. And so we thought we could contribute by providing data with high spatial resolution, because when you're driving, we can cover literally every street in a town and we get a sample every second um, and add some additional context. And hopefully the data that we released today provides some of that context and, and, and gives some more information to the people. And and what in the data that you released today, what did you find for uh, East Palestine? So today we released data on uh, a handful of VOCs. Uh, you know, we can our instrument literally measures thousands and thousands of compounds, but we're getting a data point every second, so it just that's a lot of data to comb through. So we did what's called a targeted analysis. We took a a short list of priority compounds that we knew were potentially important, and we focused on those. Uh, and those compounds were the things called BTEX, which is benzene, toluene, um, and xylenes. Uh, we measured vinyl chloride, uh, and we also presented some data today on a compound called acrolin. And of these that you found, um, are any of concern? So the uh, all of these are, are air toxics. Um, Vinyl chloride, of course, was a concern because it was in some of the rail cars, and the concentrations of vinyl chloride that we measured were similar to what EPA had reported. The other one that was uh, of potential concern and was identified by as a concern by our colleagues at Texas A&M a week ago uh, is acrolin. So acrolin 
um, can be a combustion byproduct. There are some other sources of it. Uh, and some of the EPA data re re uh, show that acrolin concentrations were potentially above relevant health limits. And there was also some concern that the method EPA was using was maybe not sensitive enough. Uh, and so we measured acrolin. And um, maybe I'll pause and let you ask your question. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Continue, please. Uh, so we measured acrolin with our mobile laboratory, and we didn't report absolute concentrations. Um, acrolin can be tricky to measure. So instead, what we did is we compared the acrolin that we measured in East Palestine to some measurements that we had done in Pittsburgh uh, within uh, a few days of that. So we had a good, you know, sort of similar environment. Well, I guess similar climatology, but in a nearby city. Uh, and what we showed is that acrolin in East Palestine ranged from uh, about a factor of three lower than what we measured in Pittsburgh to about a factor of three higher than what we measured in Pittsburgh. Um, and concentrations in Pittsburgh are sort of typical of, of a North American city. Um, we also showed that in East Palestine, there was some uh, there was a spatial pattern to the acrolin concentration. So sort of further south into the east, the concentrations were a little bit higher uh, and, and lower sort of more to the north. Uh, first question on that is, so the uh, five times lower to three times higher compared to Pittsburgh, what does that mean overall? Are you asking, sorry, are you asking in terms like, of risk or are you? Right. So if it's three times higher, what does that mean as far as, you know, um, Pittsburgh being a, a large uh, U.S. city uh, in comparison to a, a small village in Columbiana uh, mm -hmm. and the potentially higher, what does that ultimately mean for the people of East Palestine to have a three times higher level just so people understand, you know, right. the level they should be looking at and what, what they should need to know? Right. So I think it, it, there are a couple ways to answer your question. So one one piece of it is we wouldn't necessarily expect concentrations in East Palestine to be as high or higher than Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's a city. We were sort of reporting data from downtown Pittsburgh. You know, East Palestine is, is a town. So we would expect slightly lower concentrations in, in East Palestine to start with. Um, in general, uh, any risk, uh, exposure risk, scales with concentration. So if you make the concentration twice as high, you double the risk. Um, now, there are lots of reasons concentrations can be variable. There can be nearby sources, uh, you know, changes in weather pattern, uh, you know, changes in production rate of that compound. So there's lots of things that influence the, the data we collect. And I should also stress this was just one day. So we sort of have a snapshot on that day. Um, and a lot of these risks are more longer term, right? So we're at a concentration level where there's not necessarily an acute risk. You don't have to worry you know, about being in a place, you know, for a few hours or for a day. But the potential concern is more for longer term, you know, weeks to months to years. And, um, how and, so, and so at this point, you know, it's important to do follow up to find out, well, are these concentrations decreasing or are they staying at about the same level? And how long would you recommend that the, the testing continue for this in this case? So I think the best way to answer that is you have to sort of know your goal. I, I can't sort of say, oh, I think it should go for X amount of time. Uh, I think what you want to do is continue sampling, um, you know, whether that's continuously or periodically until the concentrations get down to some baseline, right? 
And we don't necessarily know what the baseline is for East Palestine because there weren't data collected prior to the accident. Um, but you could get a, a decent idea of the baseline by looking at other data that's collected in other parts of the country. And I think you want to monitor until you get down to what you can reasonably think is is a decent baseline. And and based on what you found today, um, with the, the levels varying, and you said that it was primarily at where the derailment happened and to the east, um, is that based on wind distributing the contaminants or what would cause it to be in you know a, a region to the east of east palestine uh so unfortunately i do not have the wind data from that day in front of me uh but in general the prevailing winds are from west to east right so the the general flow is in that direction um you know so you sort of would expect that things would trend sort of eastward um yeah so i'll leave it at that if I lived in this zone in the map that you showed, should they be doing independent testing, relying on the EPA testing, just for the people in the area to understand what they should do if I'm in that region? Right. I think uh, it's important to to get some more information on a few things, right? We just learned over the past day or so that EPA is going to do additional testing. They're going to bring a mobile lab. So it's important to sort of get the information on what they're doing. Um, and in fact, what EPA is going to do is going to inform whether we return. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would stress, you know, sort of understanding what the test can and can't measure before people go and spend their own money at an independent lab, um, because those tests can be expensive. And one of the shortcomings that the Texas A&M group sort of reported about the EPA sampling was that the EPA basically couldn't measure down to the to the levels they needed to 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 assess the potential health effects, um, and so that's a number we call the detection limit. It's basically how low can you measure, and some of these health relevant concentrations were below the detection limit that, of the method EPA used. Um, and so I would hate to come on your show and tell your listeners and your viewers, yes, you should go get independent testing and spend a few hundred dollars on that. Um, and then to find out that the test didn't have a low enough detection limit. Mm -hmm. And with the EPA bringing in the, their their new trucks, how do those compare to your testing that you're doing? Um, so I can't comment on that because I don't know exactly what equipment they're bringing with them. Okay, so we don't know how low they'll be able to test even with their new trucks they're bringing in. Correct. I mean, if they... So I don't know because I don't, you know, if they were to release the list of instruments, then yes, then that's something we could find out. Um, so some of the air, people in the area have reported, you know, smelling, you know, various from sweet to burnt plastic smells, nail polish remover to a glue smell. Would that be from the contaminants that are in the air, possibly from the burn or from the derailment? Potentially, right? Um People's noses are actually pretty good sentinels, um, but uh, it's really tough to link what people smell to a specific compound. Um, and I know it's tough because we've tried. So uh, in Pittsburgh, there's a there's one of these smell apps so people can get on their phone and report smells. And we have tried more than once to try and link times and locations and occasions where people report smells, you know, you can get a burst of people reporting the same smell to link that to a specific pollutant or source. And it's really, really tough. 
Um, so, you know, I don't doubt that people are smelling these things, but, and, and, and you know, I, I, I don't think anyone should discount when people report they smell things, but connecting that to a specific contaminant or a specific concentration is just really, really hard. And if they do smell something, should they report it to an agency or someone? So to my knowledge, the EPA has set up a hotline, Mm -hmm. and I think that is there for people to take advantage of. Um, I can't necessarily, you know, specifically advise that certain people will take certain actions, but I think you know, definitely. Well, I'm going to take the definitely out of that. I'm going to restart this sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if I think you should, I, I think that people should prioritize their health, and if they are concerned, uh, they should reach out to to the EPA or to other groups that that could potentially offer help. Your your report. Um... Uh, towards the end, it said the analysis confirms the potential for long-term health concerns, which the EPA had also uh, said based on the acrolein air data, I believe. So based on that, um, what potential long-term concerns are we talking about? Um, So acrolein is a respiratory irritant, right? So it'll hurt your nose, it'll hurt your upper airway. And in longer term exposures in animal studies, and I'm trying to remember, I apologize. I'm trying to, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to say, I can't remember what they are. I had it in my head for the 9 a.m. call and now it is, it has fallen out. I understand. Um, So with the handful of chemicals that were released uh, during the derailment, uh, which included then the burning of the vinyl chloride, which uh, creates a variance of uh, or byproducts when burned. Um, these byproducts would be spread into the wind. Um, and are these being tested for? Would your screening, because these were released into the air, would you be able to test then for dioxins that are still in the air? Or is that something that has to be tested in the ground? So, you know, anything that was released when the rail cars were on fire. So we're talking on March 3rd. The fire was a month ago. Uh, Anything that was directly released from the fire, right? I'm thinking of the big, the the video and the pictures of the big black cloud of smoke. Those are long gone, right? We've had, you know, many weather fronts come through. There there have been two that came through in the last like four days here. And I'm sure East Palestine basically has the same weather as us in Pittsburgh. Uh, That, you know, so anything that was in the air right at the time of the fire is is well downwind. Um, So the sources now would be, you know, Stuff that somehow deposited on the ground or other surfaces, you know, either because it leaked out or because it deposited as combustion byproducts and now is re-evaporating. Um, you know, there's been some concern about maybe emissions from when they aerated the water. That would be a potential source. Uh, but yeah, the direct emissions from the fire itself uh, have, have long since blown away. So if it did in the burn... Um come down in the form of a dachshund or something onto the ground and dried, can that become airborne again then? I believe it can. Um, and there, there are a whole host of dioxins 
we should be able to measure, we should be sensitive to the smallest dioxin, but there's, you know, dioxins are a sort of class of chemicals. Um, and it's not something we routinely measure for, right? So we, we our, our, our expertise is really about, um, uh, you know, sort of urban air quality and atmospheric chemistry. And, and uh, you know, dioxin is really not something that we're, we're often out there trying to measure in that context. And going forward for the people of East Palestine, if you or your family lived there, what would you be telling them to do? You know, I would say, so if I lived in that town, I, I mean, I think people in East Palestine are understandably upset. Um, you know, they had this, like for some of these folks, the train like literally derailed in their backyard. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a, a traumatic event. And I, you know, I wouldn't want that to happen in my backyard. Uh, you know, and I think it's important to continue pushing for more information. You know, I think the people at EPA and the other agencies are dedicated public servants and are doing their best work. Um, but I think it's also important to to advocate for yourself and keep pushing, you know, especially if you're concerned about your health and your safety and the health and safety of your family to, um, you know, to really make sure that, that um, you know, that you're getting answers that, that you feel like are, are, are complete and, and can help you make good decisions. And, and that's why we thank you for um, helping with this because um while the EPA and the officials release data, it also often is unreadable by many average citizens to be able to tell what the data is accurately telling them or seeing. So it helps to have independent uh, sources like yourself come in and help with these type of causes. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, and hopefully the way we presented it gives some context. Uh, you know, communicating risk is is really tough. Uh, and And I think Sometimes when risk is presented as a binary thing, you know, just black and white, uh, people realize that that's not how risk works, um, right, from just our everyday lives. And and hopefully we were able to give a little bit more context and a little bit more of that nuance that I think people would expect when, when someone's communicating about risk. When will you be looking at the EPA data and, and making a determination if you need to come back in and do further testing? Uh we're, we're actively discussing it and looking at it. Um, so as I said before, it sort of depends. We don't want to be in anyone's way. We don't want to be viewed as competing. We don't want to be redundant with what they're doing. So, you know, when we know more about what EPA is doing, that'll help us inform our decision. And time frame wise, what are you expecting, you know, um, the testing to continue? It just says as an estimate, what do you expect? How long the testing will be ongoing in the community? You mean from EPA side or? For... Yes, from EPA side. Uh, I couldn't speculate. Okay. Sir, I thank you. Uh, unless there's something else you'd like to offer, I would like to thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye.